Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together Bruce and I have written 35, 36, counting 37, they're gone going cookbooks, including the ultimate party drink book. You might want to check that book out because of this show, The Ultimate Party Drink Book, and our latest, The Instant Air Fryer Bible, which is out this fall, a step-by-step book for instant brand air fryers like the Vortex and the Omni air fryers. That's out this fall. And this show is about, well, not air fryers and not instant brands, but maybe party drinks Mm. because it's all about vodka. We are having a toast to vodka. Oh, Mm. that's that's my kind of toast is the toast to vodka. Well, vodka, you know, what is it? It's clear. It's often tasteless. Tasteless. But you know that that is what most people think, that it's odorless and tasteless. They may think that, but... In fact, vodka has a taste. Let's say, first of all, let's give due due credit where due credit is due. Did you know (laughs) that there is a vodka belt? It is officially called the vodka belt, and it is made up of Ukraine, Belarus, Russia, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Finland, Sweden, Norway, and Iceland. Sorry, Denmark, you're out. Um, but that is officially considered the vodka belt. Wait, wait, where on they're this drinking it or where they're making it? Well, I think it's where people prefer vodka over other distilled spirits. We can talk about the history of vodka. In well, a the minute. thing about distilling vodka, you say that it has flavor. Well, here's the thing about vodka: it must come out of the still at 190 proof which is 95% alcohol. Wow. So that's only 5% of other stuff that can give you those flavors. Unlike whiskey, which can come out at 160 proof and still be called whiskey, vodka must come out 190 proof, and then they water it down. They water it down, right, because there's a difference here in the U.S. and the EU. Interestingly, in the U.S., vodka must be 80 proof. When they sell it. When they sell it. 190 proof out of the still. It's got to be watered down to 80 proof. In the EU, uh, vodka has to be 75 proof or 37.5% alcohol. Plus, you can't get as drunk in the EU. (laughs) You can't get as bombed in the EU. Or vodka made in the EU has to be made a little stronger to be sold in the U.S. markets. It's an interesting little international, uh, what, a hitch in the vodka production. Well, the other thing that's interesting is vodka, you say it's really popular and you gave that whole list of countries. The vodka vodka belt. Well, maybe so, but in the U.S., there is more vodka drunk than American whiskey, tequila, mezcal, and rum combined. Oh, my. That's yeah. 71.8 million nine-liter cases. That's a lot of vodka <laughs> drunk in the United States. I would bet you in the U.S., the bulk of it is drunk in cocktails or mixed drinks. I would bet you 10 bucks the bulk of it in the vodka belt is drunk straight or up. I agree with you there. And if you're buying vodka in the U.S., so you've got that 5% of stuff that can be in there besides ethanol Mm. to give Mm. it all those other flavors. Mm. If you don't know, ethanol is the sugar chemical, Mm. the the radical, the sugar sugar chemical that bubbles up and makes you drunk. It's It's, alcohol. Ethanol is alcohol, which is is the sugar. It is the thing that makes you tipsy in beer, wine, vodka, whiskey, 
deep bourbon, it's ethanol. Ethanol is the thing that bubbles in your brain. The yeast eats the sugar in whatever the base of the vodka is, and it creates ethanol as the byproduct. And most vodka is made from wheat or corn. It's a grain-based thing. There are some, and we're going to get into some specialty vodkas and how you make them. But let's even go back to that 95% is ethanol, right? So you have 5% that's Mm, left coming mm, out of the still. mm, mm. If it's made from boring old grain, your (laughs) chances are you're not going to have much flavor. It is made from grain. You're not going to have much flavor left to it. And plus, the more times you distill it, because, you know, these distillers go, we distill it three times, four times, 22 times. The more you distill it, the more impurities you take out, the smoother it gets, but the less flavor it has. That's right. So you do end up with a odorless, colorless, flavorless liquid that's especially alcohol. Especially if you do triple distilled, mm-hmm. um, as some distillers do. We'll talk about that in a minute, why there are d- uh, different kinds of d- d- distilling practices. We, we should say that if you're as old as we are, you might believe that the original vodka was distilled from potatoes, but that is probably false. The history of vodka is extremely hard to pen down because, of course, this is a distilled spirit that has literally been distilled for millennia at this point. The original vodkas that we can find in residue on uh, uh, clay pots and such that are left after residue were probably about 19%, 18% alcohol, so not nearly so strong mm. as the vodkas are today. And they were most likely grain. What happened? Let, let me just tell, can I just tell the potato Please story? Tell the potato story. So, what happened is potato vodkas came on the market in the late 60s and early 70s, and there was a huge market marketing campaign across North America to make the claim that this was the original vodka, potato vodka, something about Russian potatoes. Please don't ask me. Russia known for their potatoes? Please don't ask me the ins and outs of the potato distribution belt. (laughs) But (laughs) there was a huge campaign made to claim that this was the original vodka. It's not. There are potato vodkas out there, and it is a way of distilling vodka is through potatoes, but it is probably not the original. The original is probably a distilled, and in case you don't know, that word distilled essentially comes from the words for burning wine. It comes from the distilling process of grains. Grains, aside from grapes, because wine has been made for a long time, grains are what people have been turning into alcohol for millennia because they turn into sugars millennia i'm reading this great book called drunk in china and it's all about um alcohol in china and the history of alcohol in china and Mm. they've been making rice based and grain based alcohol for millennia this author actually claims we're going to go back to neanderthal booze so, you wow. know, that's wow. how long this yeah. has been going yeah. on. Now, we should say that that there's been a lot of talk lately about vodka and Russia mm-hmm. and because of, of the Ukrainian war. And um, there's a lot of talk about pulling Russian vodka. We should tell you that if, you live in, if you're listening to this podcast in North America, the bulk of the vodka that you see, even if it looks like it has a Russian name, is not manufactured Mm-mm. in Russia. The vast bulk, we're talking like 99% mm-hmm. of the vodka you see, even with Russian names, is not. For, there's a really um, uh, a, a good example of Stolichnaya. Stoli. Stoli. Yeah, well, there there is a difference. Now, let's just say, this is what's complicated. There's a difference between Stolichnaya and Stoli. Back in the day, Stolichnaya was a Soviet 
brand, but you know that the Soviet Union has been broken up, and one of the oligarchs, Yuri Scheffler, fled the Soviet Union at the rise of Putin and established himself in Luxembourg. Oh, why not? Why not? Why he not? established himself in Luxembourg. <laughs> And he took the Stolichnaya brand with him, and he now distills Stolichnaya or Stoli, is what is actually sold as Stoli. In where is it? In Latvia. In Latvia. They're making it in Latvia. Right. The company's raking in the money in Luxembourg. Except there is a, a problem here: the Russian government has reinstituted the distilling under the Stolichnaya brand. Ooh, so there are two. Stolies out there. The one that's done in Luxembourg is generally sold with just the label Stoli, not Stolichnaya. The Stolichnaya is generally, but this is not all the time true, the one made in Russia. It's very, very complicated. We will tell you to do the same thing we tell you when you're buying food. Read the labels, yeah. see where it's made. You can see where it's made. What about Smirnoff? There's Smirnoff. another one. See, another one. Everyone thinks Smirnoff is Russian. Well, it's a Russian name, right? Right. Because the guy that started it was a Russian emigre, fled the country during the October Revolution, yep. and opened a distillery in Connecticut. Where we are in, at the end of prohibition in Connecticut, it's a Connecticut vodka <laughs> Smirnoff. It's like I there's another famous Connecticut spirit too, isn't there? Yeah, the Hublines. There, that that's yeah. a Connecticut base. That's it is. a Connecticut base. And if you're going over to West Hartford, the Hubline Tower is up there on Avon Mountain. They are shining out to everybody. A lot of the tequila you drink is actually a Connecticut. Connecticut, the nutmeg state known for its vodka. <laughs> we are, and our, and our tequila, too. So um, these are all par parts of the vodka story. But let me tell you also that when you triple distill, that means how many times did you run it through the still? As Bruce said, when you triple distill it or quadruple distill it or, I don't know, decatuple distill. <laughs> distill it i don't know you lose more and more of the flavors a lot of the current kids who are doing a lot of the current vodka you know um, uh, renaissance in the united states are double distilling and that's because they're leaving pieces and flavor esters of the original substance in it there's a vodka that's off the market now that used to be called Vermont White. Unfortunately, the man kind of made a mess of the business. He had to sell the business. It's gone. It was back for a while. Now it's gone again. Anyway, Vermont White was distilled from milk sugars and basically kind of think powdered milk, but milk sugars. And he distilled it from milk sugars. And it's true. When you would drink Vermont White, yeah, I can't explain it to you. It was very smooth. It was very beautiful. And then after you drank it, when you breathed in, you'd think, did I did I have some ice cream? There did, are some did, other did, brands. Did, yeah. I, did, I, did I drink creamy milkshake? But it would only be after you breathed in, after you'd swallowed it. There are some other brands doing that now, making vodka out of milk. There's a couple in the U.K., um, they're hard to track down. They in the are US. very they're hard. Very hard to track down. But people are making vodka from a lot of things. So let's start at the bottom of the barrel. The bottom okay. of the barrel are people who just import grain alcohol from Canada. Yeah. Like pure grain alcohol. Yeah. They water it down to 80 proof. They put it in a bottle. They call it vodka and they stick a label on it. There is a very famous vodka, which we're not going to mention because we don't want to have any trouble and we don't want to get in any trouble. But there is a very famous vodka that people like okay. just imports Canadian grain alcohol, waters it down and bottles it. Then you go up from there and you have people actually making their own grain alcohol in the U.S. and in Canada. 
And then you have people making alcohol out of other things, out of rice, out of corn, yeah. out of potatoes. Yeah. Love Cold River Vodka, which is a potato vodka from Maine. And it's the distillery is just north of Portland, mm-hmm. Maine. And I love Cold River more than I can say. It is super smooth. It's almost glassy smooth. Yeah. There are a couple of, of distillers doing it out of apples that are really mm-hmm. amazing. Basically, they take the apple, the pressed apple juice, and they mm-hmm. ferment that like they're making apple cider, mm-hmm. and then they distill the, the cider. Sometimes you can get this from Tuttletown Spirits, which is a New York-based distillery, and they call their apple vodka indigenous. There's another one at Sauvage Distilleries. They're making upstate vodka out mm-hmm. of apples. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be talking to them in another episode about vodka. And we should tell you that while that Vermont white guy did the, the milk sugar vodka is out of business, his business was sold repeatedly and to multiple people. And actually, one of his vodkas is back in production through another company, and it's called Vermont Gold. And it is uh, vodka distilled from maple sap, mm. not syrup. So they don't boil it down till it's syrup. It's just the sap that comes out of the tree. And again, this this vodka, don't think maple-flavored mm-hmm. vodka like, you know, maple-flavored Stoli or something like that, you know, where the maple syrup. <laughs> no flavoring, right? <laughs> Old pancake syrup vodka. Don't think that. Think that. Think about this really smooth, clean vodka that you drink it, and then mm, when you breathe back in later, you think, "Did I have pancakes? Did <laughs> have, have I had some?" So, pancakes of course, recently? the way they do that is they take the sap, and the sap has a pretty high sugar content, yep. and they ferment that with yeast. And once all of that sugar in that sap is turned into alcohol, and you have this fermented. It's not a mash. A mash would be with grain. So you just have this fermented maple hooch. You put that in the still, hooch. and you turn the maple hooch. hooch. What, oh, 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 what are you, 1920? <laughs> Were you born in the 30s? <laughs> hooch. And, of course, you're distilling it Good down grief. to 190 proof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of my favorite, favorite vodkas is made from honey. Mm. And that's also done in Vermont, and that's Bar Hill, and they make both vodka and gin with honey. But Their gin is partly made with honey. This. We and have to save this. I'm going to be talking to Ryan Christensen later in this episode about Bar Hill vodka and how he does it with honey. It's really fascinating. Okay, so I just want to make two points, and we're going to get out of this and go on to our one minute cooking tip, but I'm going to make two points. And one is we are not talking flavored vodka. So we're not mm. talking apple flavored vodka or cherry flavored mm-hmm. vodka or raspberry flavored vodka. Mm-hmm. We're talking vodkas distilled out of these things. And they have the barest essence of the flavor left in them you should check them out we are not sponsored by these people but go to a large uh, liquor store like total wine and spirits you will find acres of vodkas at places like that and you can try out various kinds it's very intriguing to try it out and let me as finally um, do one more thing before we get to our one minute cooking tip and ask the question of all questions, can a martini be made with vodka? Yes, but it's not a martini anymore. <laughs> what it is is a vodka martini, right? <laughs> but if you want a martini, that's a gin drink. If you want it made with vodka, you're now making a vodka martini, which is not a martini. I'm, it's a vodka martini. I'm laughing because Bruce is being kinder than I am. My answer is no. <laughs> you cannot make a, vo- a martini out of vodka. That's a vodka drink, and you should have a vodka drink because they're lovely. But martinis are made with gin, which m- might, in my books, be even lovelier. So... 
<laughs> I have a friend who calls gin vitamin G. Can I have a little vitamin G? Um, so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm much harder on this than Bruce. Before we get to our one-minute cooking tip, let me say that you should subscribe to this podcast. If you would rate it, that would be fabulous. All you have to do is drop down to the bottom, let's say, of the Apple podcast, and you'll see a way to give it a star rating. You can even write a comment, even like, nice podcast. That would do just grand. <laughs> thank you so much for that. And thank you for listening to us. Okay, up next. Our one-minute cooking tip. If you're making a cocktail and you're going to serve it up, that is with no ice, you want your glass cold. So here's what you do. Fill the cocktail glass with ice while you're making the drink so it's nice and cold before the drink goes in. Yep. Real easy. Bartenders do it all the time. Fill the glass with ice, make your drink, dump the ice out, pour the drink in. And let me give a subset to this. We served shots of vodka at a dinner party recently. Someone brought over, yes, a raw venison tenderloin mm. and sliced it raw as it would be in Nordic countries. And we drank iced vodka with it. And I put the vodka glasses first in the freezer. I put them early earlier in the day. But remember, you can only do this trick of putting the glasses in the freezer so they're really cold with sturdy glasses. <laughs> I have some Elsa Peretti no, cocktail glasses. No, you're not putting those. It's tissue-thin crystal. Yes, and I have some Simon Pierce really chunky um, old-fashioned glasses, and I don't want those scratched up. So I would never put those in the freezer. But I put in some very sturdy shot glasses, and, you know, we went from there and shot vodka and sliced off raw venison tenderloin okay so that's our one minute cooking tip make sure the glass is cold now up segment three up next bruce's interview with ryan christensen the owner and distiller of bar hill distiller i am i i'm so excited about this i can't say because bar hill gin is my sine qua non it's one of the things that i love most in life is bar hill gin but he's going to be talking about bar hill gin and mostly bar hill vodka today we're talking with ryan christensen the owner and distiller at bar hill they make amazing gin great vodka they're in greensboro vermont and we're going to talk to ryan about what makes his vodka today so special hey ryan how you doing i'm doing great thanks bruce for uh, inviting me to join you so i want to first mention your gin because when mark and i first tried your gin it changed our lives it's so flavorful so aromatic you include honey in the process but you don't distill it from honey that's correct yeah honey um is an amazing um not just sugar source you know when we think about honey we think about honey sweetener and honey you know sort of the clarified honey that that's been heated and treated all through the grocery store but when we think about gin we think about botanicals and you know here at bar hill when we you know use and process honey in the distillery we're also thinking about botanicals. So when you're working with raw, unheated honey, it's just loaded with all of these, you know, pollens and, and, and florals that have really come from the work of the bees. And uh, our job here in the distillery is to make sure that we don't destroy what the bees have, have, have you know, worked so hard to gather for us and, and really bring that to life and spirits. So the honey adds that little bit to your gin, but the vodka is different. You distill your vodka from 100% honey, right? Yeah, we do. It's it's an insane cost. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but we, we, we've actually tried to discontinue this product for years. Every time we need to you know, upgrade our still or run into production challenges, growth challenges, we go, gosh, does vodka really make sense? And people continue to buy it. And and it makes sense because there is this depth to honey 
that actually makes it through the column still. And I can elaborate on what I mean by that. Most vodka on the market, you know, we often think it's from potatoes, but it's not. You know, it's it's from the the cheapest commodity grain you can source, and it's distilled in a, in, in a column, usually a continuous. And the goal of vodka production is flavorless, odorless, neutral. It's some of the best marketing ever. The world has been convinced that flavorless, odorless, neutral is what we want to be drinking, but we know that's not what we want to eat or drink. Um, so vodka in itself as a category, it, it's so strange, um, but that is the TTB classification. So we do have to meet something reasonably close to that. At a technicality, we just need to achieve 95% alcohol when we distill it. And we do that with our vodka, but there's so much botanical depth within um, honey that when you ferment raw honey and take it through the whole process and distill it, we distill twice only twice, a lot of vodka on the markets, distilled 12 times, 24 times, 36 times. You know, we do two passes through our still. And what comes out is, you know, quote unquote, flavorless, odorless, neutral, right? It comes out at 95% alcohol, but you're still going to smell the florals of that honey. If you distill it a third time, you'll lose it all. You'll lose all that texture. You'll lose, you know, everything that we've worked so hard to keep in, within the vodka. But that's unique. You know, we've we've distilled a lot of things. And uh, honey is the only thing that really travels through the still and, and holds on to the integrity of the raw material in that way. And what does the honey do to the mouthfeel of the of the vodka? It's, it's enormous. I mean, there's really a viscosity to a honey-based vodka. Um, you know, if, if distilled properly, um, you, you again, you can lose that, you know, by distilling too quickly, by, by distilling too much, over-processing, basically. The way that we're distilling is a very slow process, right? We've got a very tall column still, like most, most vodka distilleries. We're running very, very slowly through one single, what's called a stripping run. So we've taken this fermented honey, right, 3,000 pounds of raw honey. We've added water. We've, you know, pitched it with a white wine yeast and we ferment all the way to dry. You know, we take as much of that sugar as we can convert into alcohol as possible. And then we send it to the still for this, this initial stripping run. We're really just trying to separate out the alcohols from the non-alcohols. And that's, that's the product that'll then lead to the final, um, you know, finishing distillation, which is where it really matters. And in the finishing distillation, we run very slowly, carefully through the column. It goes through a 20 plate column. Um, and what comes out in that one pass through that 20 plate column will achieve 190 proof, 95% alcohol, but you'll smell it when we're distilling vodka, you'll smell the whole room. It'll have the essence of honey, even though we're producing something quote unquote flavorless. And it, it's really fascinating, particularly on the front end, you know, distillation is a long process. You start it in the morning, it runs all day, but early on, on the front end of that distillation, you know, closest to the heads cut, the part of the distillation that doesn't make it into the bottle. Um, but what's closest, you know, within the hearts, which is what we keep, um, that's what makes it in the bottle. What's closest to the heads cut is where all of that real creamy texture, you know, viscosity, that's where all that is. And, and, and a lot of the, you know, kind of macro distilleries that produce, you know, most of the, the, the vodka we have the opportunity to buy at the spirit store, most of that is made on mathematical cuts. So they just say, get through 10% of the run, snip it, and then we go into finished vodka. Um, but they're cutting out all the best vodka. You know, it, it's incredibly efficient because um, they don't have to, you know, put a human on it. But we make our cuts still with sensory. You know, everything that we're doing in this distillery from a, from a heads and tails cut perspective, we're nosing these glasses, you know, over and over and over, really saying, 
we're getting close, keep an eye. And it, it's very much a manual operation because that keeps the best of the vodka within the batch. Right? I, I like to say vodka is really easy to produce a flaw and that flaw will come out in vodka. Whereas similarly, you could, you could smell it at any given moment in the distillation and say, oh, this is brilliant. I hope it comes through. It might, but, but if, if you smell something that's not good, it's a guaranteed it's going to come through. Do you ever taste the vodka in that raw essence? I mean, there was all this done strictly through smell. Well, early on, I used to taste and smell. I had to. Um, which some days meant I needed a ride home from work, you know, but over the years I've trained myself to use my nose and our whole team has done the same. I mean, you really have to, you know, your, your nose can really work all day. We're dealing with high strength spirits here. I mean, we're very fortunate that we don't make a lot of vodkas. You know, we really make one precious vodka and uh, we do a couple of experimental things for fun, you know, seasonality, but generally we're producing one vodka. So those cuts we're pretty dialed into when we need to kind of activate the nose and get close to it. But early on, I mean, we, we'd run vodka into, you know, a hundred jars and we'd come back over the course of days and, and really think carefully about it. We, we made decisions very slowly. You know, that intentional effort sort of set the guardrails for us. And now we can make those, you know, similar quality decisions, but at a much faster pace, which, you know, keeps the still running, but you've still got to get your nose in front of it or taste in front of it. But I often find with the, the botanicals that are traveling through, um, I think your nose can pick them up better. How different are those aromas and those flavors when it's 190 proof versus bottle strength? It's such a great question. This is, I pick on the vodka category a lot. And, and people say, why do you pick on the vodka category? You make vodka. And it's true. You know, we focus on gin, right? Gin is, is, is most of what we do here. But we're working with raw honey, you know, fresh from the apiary. You know, so this, this honey is coming into the space in 650 pound drums and it's, it's beautiful stuff. There's, you know, pollen and propolis and beeswax and we're scraping through all of this raw from the farm. You know, sometimes there's bees. I mean, I opened a drum the other day and there was a bunch of hornets trying to clearly trying to take the drum. So we had to remove the, the hornets that didn't survive that battle. And, but it, it's very, very real stuff. With that, you get seasonality. You know, you, you, you get very much agricultural, you know, challenges that, that come into the, the distillery. And we try to produce some level of consistency with our gin. You know, that's that it, it needs to have consistency, right? Bartenders are using our gin and cocktails all over the world. We can't have, um, you know, darker honeys coming in, more flavorful honeys, less flavorful honeys. We really need to try to build some parameters around that. So the way we do that is with vodka, right? We take all of the weird and obscure and unexpected barrels and, you know, using, you know, color and taste and seasonality. And, and it's not exactly scientific, but, you know, we're, we're pretty good at it. We can say these barrels are going to vodka because they're so different. These barrels are going to vodka because they're so different. And, we celebrate that in vodka. The whole category of vodka should celebrate that. You know, it, it, it's our theory is once you travel through those 20 plates, any character that makes it through is something to be celebrated. So my goal with vodka is that it does move batch to batch. Um, it won't move much just because of the nature of the process. But when it does, um, you know, clover honey versus buckwheat honey, I, I think you're going to notice the difference. Well, certainly people with amazing sense of, of taste and smell can. Have you given any thought to labeling the bottles that way? Yeah, I think we probably should. You know, again, we're so focused on gin. We spend so much time thinking about gin. I, I think we should. I think, I think it's a great idea. We've talked about it a lot. I say we're focused on gin. We're focused on honey, really. You know, honey then leads to gin. But, you know, we've been doing this for, for over 10 years now. And 
we don't have a wide portfolio. You know, we don't make a lot of products. Um, we do a fair amount of experimental stuff, but a lot of it never goes to market. But in, in regards to what we actually take to market, it's only three products. You know, it's Barhill Gin, Tomcat Gin, and Barhill Vodka. And all of those products are dependent on the health of the hive, the quality of the honey. You know, we've really kind of um, become more advanced in our in our lab. But, you know, we're, we're really starting to kind of scratch the surface of what are we tasting, right? We're tasting honey and we're saying, oh my gosh, taste the botanical depth. Well, well, what botanicals? And those are hard questions to answer. And I don't have the answers yet, to be honest. I mean, we, we, look, at, we look at it from three perspectives. We look at geography right? Where are the bees and, you know, what's surrounding them? We look at sensory, you know, so we actually taste and, you know, I, I think I'm tasting apple blossoms. I think I'm tasting clover. But recently, we've, we've started working with some, some external labs to, to try to do what's called pollenalysis. And they're actually looking under a microscope at the, the shape of the pollens. And they're saying, gee, this, this is looking like cherry blossom pollen. And then we're looking back at the sensory, back at the geography. And we're saying, you know, I think that is cherry blossom. But what's interesting is the pollen doesn't necessarily tell us exactly what the nectar came from, right? The pollen is often what sticks to the fuzzy little creature that is the bee, but the nectar is, is the actual sugar source. So there's going to be a mix of, of pollen and nectar, but we, we like to say pollen is a pretty good clue. And uh, if we're finding that pollen, we're tasting that in the honey, we're probably onto it. You have your own bees. We, we don't have any here. We, we use, so t- Todd is, is really the beekeeper and Todd was a beekeeper for his, his, his entire life uh, since he was a young boy. And Todd had bees at the Hardwick distillery. We're actually in Montpelier, Vermont now. We built a bigger distillery. But early on, Todd kept a few hives at the distillery. Um, but as we started to work with more and more honey in the distillery, Bees just have this incredible sense of where the honey is. You know, they don't want to go collect nectar if they can go collect honey, right? That's the finished product. So we started working with more and more honey. We also heat up wax crocs. We dip every bottle into the the bees wax. And um, the bees just started coming right in the distillery. They they said, forget this journey. You know, we're we're going right in there. We're going to take it back. Um, So it it started to become a little bit of a a challenge with bees coming in and uh, so Todd still has bees in Greensboro at his house, small, small amount of hives. Um, but we're working with um, commercial apiaries, you know, all within a 250 mile radius of the distillery. You talked about consistency in the gin and how important that is for bartenders, for mixing cocktails. I see your vodka in my local liquor store. I don't usually see your vodka in bars behind the counter. Is that because of the flavor variants that happen that it, do you think it's harder to mix drinks with your vodka? To be honest, I think it's price point. You know, our vodka is fairly expensive depending on the market. You know, it's it's usually pushing on $60 or a little over $60. It's a pretty expensive bottle of vodka. You know, I, I think the world is is ready for that kind of price point. We've, we've tried to make it less expensive, but you know, the cost of most vodka on the market, you know, it's coming from commodity corn, which is going to cost like, you know, 10 to 30 cents a pound. And our vodka is coming from, you know, pure raw honey. Raw honey is 10 to $12 a pound in a jar, you know, or more. You know, we're still paying, you know, upwards of $4 a pound or more um, in, in, a, in a commercial setting. So you, know, you can see the input costs are 10 times greater. So, you know, our margins are incredibly slim, even though our price point's incredibly high. And then sympathetic to the bartender, how do you take a $60 bottle of vodka, make a cocktail out of it? And, and, you know, just downstream, it becomes an incredibly expensive cocktail. And, you know, I think people appreciate it 
Um, but at the same time, if, if, if you're going to spend that much on vodka because it carries these nuances, you, you might just want to sip it, you know, a, a, as it is and just, just have a pour on ice. So you don't propose neat? You think a little ice melt, your vodka can handle the ice melt and still give you all of those flavors? I like it both ways, to be honest. I mean, I drink more of it neat. Um, just because the nature of of my work and I'm constantly trying to dissect what's within that. But if I were having friends over, you know, I, I think vodka on ice is, is is a nice, nice thing to say. I want to ask you what role the water plays that you add post-distillation? Because you say you add water up front to to thin out the honey and you add the yeast and you ferment it. it comes out of the still at mm-hmm. 190 proof. Yep. You've got to bring it down to 80. What role does that water, how much of that water flavor impacts the vodka? And where's your water coming from? Yeah, so we, we have gray water here in Montpelier, which is which is nice. Um, all proofing water has to go through an RO system. RO, you mean reverse osmosis. It's a way of filtering. You know, minerals and, and anything within the water in spirit form is going to reveal itself and it's going to create some challenges downstream. You'll see this if you if you scan the liquor store shelf. You know you might see cloudy specks that live within spirits once in a while, and they don't follow the bottom. They follow the bottom. That's something else. That's some sort of particulate that probably shouldn't have made it in, or maybe it's I mean, with beer and wine. It's often yeast, which is not a problem with spirits. There needs to be a reason why that's there. You know, like in our case, if we didn't filter our vodka, it'd be it'd be remnants of the hive. That wouldn't bother me, but. The market's not ready for that. So we, we joke about it. I don't, I don't think they're ready for cloudy gin yet. But the, the, the specs that you'll find that are sort of suspended, you know, that's usually minerals that, that have made their way in through the water. Um, and, you know, they're finding each other over time, sitting on the shelf and then eventually revealing themselves. And what's happening is it's a stabilization problem, right? So uh, we only use RO water, you know, similar to what maple sugar is used to produce their, their maple sap. You know, we run through the RO system. Fancy filtration system basically takes one one input and sends it two ways, and all the all the stuff goes that way, and the water without the stuff goes this way. So we use it in the exact opposite way that a maple sugar uses it. Right? They they take all of the quote unquote stuff, which becomes the maple sap, and they they concentrate it, and they send you know the the um, what do they call it? The the permeate water, I think they call it, but the the, the remainder goes the other way. That's what we're after. I mean, if there was a sugar house next door, it'd be great. You know, <laughs> a great you know, symbiotic relationship. But um, we're after the water, the RO water that really doesn't have much left in it so that it doesn't shift what we've worked so hard to distill. Your honey-based vodka is absolutely amazing. I thank you for making it. I thank the 893 bees for each bottle that give their life's work to the honey that goes <laughs> into it. And Ryan Christensen from Barhill Vodka, thank you for spending some time explaining your process to us. It is my pleasure. Okay, thanks for that, Bruce. I love Bar Hill again, more than I can say because it's so super aromatic. I love really herbal aromatic gins. I got more on list. We should do a gin show. I could tell you some of the gins that I love love more than I can even say. But now, segment for our traditional final segment, what's making us happy in food this week? And you get to start. Well, you already named it. It's raw, shaved, frozen, venison (laughs) tenderloin. And if you're listening... It's it's a little bit of an esoteric thing. We have have a very good friend, Jay, who hunts and shoots and butchers. And if you're listening, thank you, Jay. That was 
enlightening and delicious when you brought that over. We ate it with a little blueberry jam and Chinese chili crisp, the little slices mm. with the iced vodka, as mm. Mark said. Um. We just stood around the counter and we had it and it was absolutely delicious. And I wish I knew how to say cheers and finish. So if you do, please go to our Facebook group, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, and tell me there how to say cheers and finish because I'm too lazy to Google it. Well, while uh, I get to say what's made me happy in, in food this week, I can tell you that it's upstairs and I can smell it, and it's babka. <laughs> Bruce is making babkas even as we record this podcast. Um, Bruce makes the meanest, most delicious babka I have ever had with dried orange peel and nuts and butter and cinnamon sugar and I don't know. It's just an insane thing and he's upstairs when we're not recording this making babka and i can already smell it and i love babka do you have do, is, is this recipe on our youtube channel cooking with bruce and mark i don't believe it i is. don't think it is maybe someday we're gonna have to put this babka recipe up because ba- bruce's babka it's ethereal i don't i, I don't know it would probably go good with vodka mm, so that's everything our, goes good with vodka <laughs> that's our vodka show all about everything you wanted to know about vodka get out there and try some vodkas don't stick with what you you know don't stick with the usual go to a giant liquor store as i suggest and check out the various kinds of vodka get somebody to help you there's all kinds of guys running around those stores mm-hmm. and women too running around those stores who know the products they can help you find one that is not flavored but is distilled from various things it may change the way you even think it about might. vodka and you know you don't even have to go to the store if you don't want to buy bottles you could go to like a high-end bar Yep. And sit at the bar yep. and have the bartender pour you four or five shots. Whoa. But go with someone and share them of different vodkas and try them. Yeah, right? y- you go, you go. Don't you drink five shots on your own and now, then drive home. That's the but. Finnish way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no one to say that. Anyway, so come to our Facebook group. Tell me how to say that because I'm too lazy to Google it. And please subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And we will see you back here next time on Cooking with Bruce and Mark.